Greetings, this is Jason Hill, and this is the podcast version of Into the Gap, which airs every Saturday morning from 9 a.m. to 10 a.m. Central on WCGO Radio, 1590 a.m. and 95.9 FM in Chicago. Let's get to this week's episode. Here's my co-host, Mike Shrek. Yeah, welcome to our show, and we got a guest in-house. Good morning. Good morning. Great to be with you both. Jonathan the, the Honig. Ha- the haze in the studio. <laughs> so what's going on in here? Oh, it smells... St- Decidedly of potpourri, or what is that, patchouli? I can't. <laughs> no, no, no. no that was not. last night at the poker tournament. I didn't realize how many middle-aged men both participate in gummies and have concealed carry licenses. That's that, scary. That's a really odd combination, right? A bunch of like fifty, late forties, fifties, and early sixties guys sitting around. Fifty percent are armed, and about eighty percent are stoned on gummies. Well, that's good because they're not drinking. If they're drinking, it's scary. <laughs> well, there but... was some drinking. Oh well, I don't but know. not a lot of drinking. Right. But yeah, so I'm thinking that's that's an interesting way to begin. The day, yeah. Right? yeah. Well, we're, I'm none of that in the studio this morning. But Mike and Jason, it's great to be with you. Uh, Thank you. Uh, Jonathan Honig, obviously, is my name. I'm, I'm a money manager. Uh, I live in Chicago, but actually went to school and grew up here in the North Shore. I went to school at Evanston uh, back in the. God, it feels like decades ago. I guess it was back in the late 1990s. So I, I have a lot of experience at this community, a lot of friends in this community, and, and fam- some family too. So happy to be with you all. Well, awesome. Thanks for being here, man. Yeah. Tell, really us, cool. tell us a little bit about your um, your new your book that's two years old also. Sure, sure. Well, um, as I said, my what I do for a living is I manage money. Um, before that, I was actually a floor trader at the Chicago Board of Trade. Uh, but since then, I've become, over the years, a pretty vocal advocate for Capitalism, you know that dirty word, and uh, not, not a dirty word here. I know, and it shouldn't be for our listeners either. But uh, a belief in capitalism and and the country that invented the term, the country that invented capitalism, if you will, uh, and that is America, at least in this modern and, and, and perfected it or close to perfected it. So I published a book uh, that was actually started by Ayn Rand, the philosopher and the novelist, uh, about two years ago. The book is called A New Textbook of Americanism. And back in the 1940s, you know, Rand had this idea, Jason, Jason she was going to basically just outline a, 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 a multi-series, a couple of essays that would define the basic premises of what this country is all about. And not for kind of hoi polloi, uh, esoteric academics or, you know, people necessarily in the news, but just an every man's guide to what is America all about. So she started the project. She never finished it. So thanks to the Ayn Rand Institute and some tremendous scholars, I was able to, in effect, finish Ayn Rand's textbook of Americanism. And boy, her message, Jason uh, and Mike, of of not just capitalism, but of individualism, it is more needed in this country now than ever it ever was. Well, Jonathan, thanks so much for saying it, because that's ultimately what this show's about. That's the whole idea of of Into the Gap. It's really a, how this show got started was we we were noticing um, how men were limited in their expression today, you know, with the political correctness and a, a lot of things. And so we started this conversation about men, masculinity, but primarily about liberty, you know? And, and that's kind of how it's evolved, is, and that's how Jason got involved, is we're really talking about American exceptionalism and liberty. And that's really what this, this show's about, is a, really a celebration of that. So Yeah, I mean, yeah. you know, it's funny. I, I, I was in Orlando, Orlando, Florida over the last couple of days. I gave a speech, and one of the slides that usually kind of really inspires people is making yeah. the point, 
And if there's, what, 8 billion people in America, only 4% or in the world, only yeah. 4% are American. So right. how lucky, no matter what our individual situations are, we all have baggage, we all have things we deal with. Sure. But my God, how lucky we are to wake up in America mm-hmm. with the opportunity to be free. And it's not totally free, and we can argue about it here. But my God, I mean, how lucky we are to, to be alive in this country today and to be able to, to make our fortunes, to make our way, and, and to reap what we sow. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's cool. So thanks for being here, man. My pleasure, my pleasure. We have uh, and, and so much to talk about. I know we were yeah. talking a little politics before we started, but uh, we'll, side, we'll side sweep that for the moment. Yeah, but tell us, tell us, tell us. So you said you manage money. You want to talk about where where you actually sure what where, you, where you work or what you sure do? sure. Well, um, you know, I, I as I said, I got my you know since I was a little kid, I was never just much interested in sports. Uh, you know, really never much interested, in, yeah, in girls, but I wasn't, you know, girl crazy. I mean, what always was fascinated Those me. Those are my two wheelhouse items, just so you know. Sports <laughs> and girls, yeah. I mean, I, and, and for me, it was, it Alpha was, uh, I, you know, it was it was money. And yeah. even more than money, it was trade. Yeah. You know, back kind of, you know, kids can be pretty cruel. And yeah. at that time, you know, on the playground when, you know, kids were really being bullied and like there was no anti-bullying movement in the 70s and 80s. You just got the, you know, what kicked out yeah, of you. And it was exactly. just like every day. I just love this idea of trade. Like, no, you know, let's, I've got all the, the cool pens. You've got the cool sneakers. Let's make a trade. Let's make a deal. Mm-hmm. Let me weed your yard, you know, your, used to weed the neighbor's yards and stuff like that sure. for $5, $10, whatever it was at the time. So, you know, I was always just fascinated with the idea of, of, of production, of making a trade, of working with people, not fighting them or torturing them or being tortured by them. Yeah. So um, I was almost born into this fascination. And, and Jason, that's kind of how I got my start at the Board of Trade. As, as soon as I saw that, you know, that's pretty unique to, I mean, it's gone from the world today by and large, but, you know, certainly unique. I know, Mike, you're a longtime Chicago, and yeah. you know you know the whole story. I'm sure you knew a lot of guys down there. I did. I, my, one of my best friends is a trader yeah. still. Yeah, still. I, he's almost done, but yeah. Sure. I mean, yeah. uh, so there was, I, when I first saw that unbelievable uh, trading floor filled with thousands of screaming and yelling people and, you know, understanding this is the market. This is like the most pure expression of, of a real, you know, real life, real time market. It, it fascinated me. So I had to get down there. So I, I ultimately left school, started trading on the uh, floor of the Chicago Board of Trade and wanted to, as, especially as the computers kind of came in. I mean, mm-hmm. you certainly saw the writing on the wall. The, the advantages of standing on the floor screaming and yelling were really starting to go away. So I opened up a, what they call a, a private investment partnership. So basically people who ha- have a lot of money, let's say they have, I don't know, $5 million, mm-hmm. they might have three or, four, three or four of it in more conservative traditional investments, but they might have one million of it with someone like me who manages it a little more aggressively with taking more risk, but hopefully yeah. ultimately getting bigger returns. So I want to ask you a question. So a lot of people have money. Some don't have money. Yes. We, we spend it. But I don't think people have ever thought about what is money? Like, what's the definition of money? What is money? What is money? Well, you're holding some right now, aren't you? I brought you a big stack of it. Yeah, ten thousand dollars. <laughs> it's fake. It's fake. It's, it's fake. Fun. It's fake. Yeah. I well, I mean, fake. it's 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 something that uh, it's not just a, you know, money. When we say, well, what is it? It's a it's a piece of paper with a picture on it, ultimately, right? But right. It, obviously, it's much more than that. And you know, I I brought in a, a quote. Uh, I had a feeling you were going to ask me, Jason. So I brought in a, a quote or two from Ayn Rand, the philosopher who who knew knows more about this and knew more about this than any, uh, any of us. And you know, she says that money is the tool of men who have reached a high level of productivity and a long-range control over their lives. Money is not merely a tool of exchange. Much more importantly, it is a tool of savings, which permits delayed consumption and buys time for future production. Anything above a savage's 
any, any, anything above the level of a savage's precarious hand-to-mouth existence requires savings. Savings buys time. So, you know, money, look, it, it, it's a long conversation, but money is a tool of an exchange, but it's also a tool of savings so that we're not, I mean, we don't live like savages. We, we work and we're able to consume what we, uh, what we earn, but we're also to sa- be able to save some for investment, for future consumption. So that's what money is ultimately. It's a tremendous tool of exchange and tool of savings that permits the modern day you know, economy in the modern day world that we take for granted now. Yeah. It's also the material shape of a principle, right? Can you be more specific? It's a principle by which people deal with each other yes, by trading. Yes, exactly, exactly right. I mean, it's, and it's, it's a hell of a convenience. I mean, you think about what was the first form of money was like the barter economy, right? Yeah, so right. You, you, I don't know, thrashed wheat or caught fish. I don't know, what would, what would you do? And maybe I had seashells or maybe I could do, you know, thatch the roof. And he'd say, well, if you get me some fish, I'll thatch your roof. And you say, well, I don't want a roof. I already have a roof. I want some tomatoes or something like that. So how could we ever exchange without clubbing each other? Rand's got actually a great quote for that, um, you know, as well. She talks about as long as men live together on earth and need a means to deal with one another, their only substitute if they abandon money is the muzzle of a gun. Yeah. So money lets us deal with each other fairly, equitably, peacefully. It's really an amazing, amazing achievement. You know, while you're bringing this up, one of the things that, uh, uh, really became present to me is they're talking about, you know, we were talking earlier about the president, right, and the economy. And and some of the people are saying, well, the economy is only for a certain portion of people, which I don't, th- the economy is the economy. It's the environment we live in. But there seems to be a rejection of participation in that as being kind of a trend. Do you see that or... Um, well, you know, well, for one thing, I, I like your analysis of, you know, so-called what is the economy, yeah. because, you know, people will say, oh, the, look at the GDP. It shows the economy is this, the economy that. Right. What is the economy? But all those relationships that we're alluding to, right? Yeah. All those voluntary, ideally voluntary transactions and, yeah. and relationships. And, and we're all a part of the economy. It doesn't right. matter if you're a big time investor. Yeah. Or you're literally sweeping up after, you know, at Starbucks, as I was in high school, you know, for, for five or six bucks an hour. You're all part of the economy. I could argue even if you're homeless, you're part of the economy. Yeah, I mean, I think you're not certainly not part of the productive part of the no, economy. No, you're definitely not part of the productive um, part of it. No, but. I mean, the economy is all those voluntary relationships that yeah. – and, and I think even more important, you know, whenever people say, well, the economy is this, the economy is that – for me, it's all about, well, what's your economy? What's yeah. your situation? Okay. Because, That's you know, true. even in a so-called bad economy, in a free economy, I think anyone can succeed. I think anyone can find his way. I don't think that you're lost just because it's a bad economy. Yeah. So, And, uh, Jonathan, you were quoting some Ayn Rand stuff about the meaning of money and, and the value it creates. Yeah. And actually, I felt a little bad because, you know, I, we said in the, before, in the earlier segment, I brought Jason a big stack of well, they're fake, but a huge stack of $100 bills. So, yeah. <laughs> I, Mike, I brought you some real currency, actually. This oh. is actual real currency. It's, it's and, not really. It's from Canada. No, no. It's, it's, it's legitimate currency, and you could, you know, exchange it anywhere now. Uh, I, I don't want you to spend it all at once. Tell oh our listeners God. where it's oh from. My, it's from Venezuela, so this is worth about a nickel, maybe? Oh, much less than that. <laughs> much less it's than that. that. It's worth less than probably Charmin toilet paper, ultimately. Is it really? But yeah. you know, So these are actual, authentic bolivars yeah. from the uh, People's Republic of Venezuela, or yeah. Ven- Socialist Venezuela. Now, it's f- I think it's four bolivars. That used to be four bucks. Yeah. yeah. And now it's literally toilet paper, I was thanks say- to the ideas behind it. Yeah. We'll talk about that somewhat. I mean, because you're talking about inflation, right? 
you know, talking about inflation, you know, what get you know, mo- what gives money value is unconsumed goods behind it. Yeah. The fact that there is something behind it that backs it. You know, yes. I, you know, originally the dollar was backed by gold, but what's what is backing even you know, in the Venezuelan Boulevard, other than a club, other than, you know, Maduro or whoever the next uh, uh, dictator is to, you know, literally club it out of you, come to your house and take it from you. So, you know, what gives any, you know, people confidence in exchange of value is the ideas behind that. And that, that's what even despite what's happened politically in this country, the dollar still is the the store of value. You know, we are still the most free individualistic country in the history of the world. So yeah. that's why people still want to hold dollars more than anything else. And I also think – I'm glad you put that in because what I'm seeing is the thing that backs the dollar today is the productivity of the country. Yes. You know, I mean, we make and create goods constantly. There's constant and ongoing innovation. Yes. There's there's new development in virtually every industry. No, it's true. I just spoke at an industry conference, and I was blown away. Construction. There's not a lot of innovation in construction from the standpoint of – the way you build something is the way you build something, you know? But the way these guys were approaching it, the, the, the shift of mindset, the, the way they were looking at it, and all these guys, I mean, I spoke to, I don't know, 400 entrepreneurs, Yeah. you know? And, I mean, one of them, probably the, 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 the least wealthy guy in there was probably worth like $5 million. Well, yeah. this, 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 this is something that I always correct people about when they say that we're primarily a consumer society. I said, no, consumerism mm. presupposes productivity. We're, we're Thank first, you, yeah. Jason. We're, you, you know more about economics than every, certainly anyone on TV. It's and, logically. Yes. Yeah. You can't it's consume. logically predicated on productivity. You can't Absolutely. consume unless there's something to produce. So we're not primarily a consumer society. We're primarily productive. a productive society. Yeah. You couldn't consume unless there was something Some, someone had to produce, produce right. exactly and, and therein lies my rub with socialism right because socialism focuses on the consumption yeah it doesn't focus on the production yeah right and so they want to everybody wants to consume everyone wants to get the same amount of stuff and there's no conversation about how do i contribute to that you know yeah. and if you don't contribute uh, who's it uh uh Th- thatcher right yeah she says socialism works great until they, there's people who stop, you know, till you run out of money. Well, money. I, I, I would vehemently argue again that socialism oh. works great at all. Okay. At all. I think it doesn't look. I don't think it works well from from day one. Okay. Um, but you know, you know, these days, what's the argument? It's even people who are so-called socialists. And yeah. I, we're moving too much into politics. Yeah. But the point is, is that someone like Jeff Bezos. I mean, how do you become a billionaire? It's pretty easy. It's not like it's a you have to produce a huge value for people. Yeah, that's it. And and the, the people who do that, like Bezos, mm-hmm. are underpaid. I mm-hmm. think Jeff Bezos is underpaid. I don't know. Is he worth a trillion dollars? Whatever he's worth, he's underpaid. Because yeah. think about how he has changed all of our lives. Yeah. You can't you can't almost put it into words. Yeah. So um, how do you become a billionaire or a millionaire? How do you become successful in America? You have to provide a value that improves people's lives. And when you do it, we should be celebrating. We should be putting up statues for these guys. You know mm-hmm. they. My God, I mean, you know, they, they have improved our lives, and I'm, I'm d- delighted they make hundreds of zillions of dollars. They yeah. do it by making my life better every yeah. day. Yeah. Who's that economist we were talking about this week? Uh, the guy from, that lives in Los Angeles but teaches at George Mason, Walter, Walter, Walter Williams. Walter Williams, yeah. yeah. I mean, what he says is, is how this whole thing works is you provide value for someone else. You serve someone else. Yeah. So it, it really is, you know, productivity is a service activity. So... You know, it, the reason what's backing the dollars is the American individual committed to 
serving someone else. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. that's what that's what Americanism is. Yeah. yeah, I mean, and also again, you know, the money and politics. I think are somewhat. You can't you can't ex- no. totally uh, uh, separate them. But you know, also I think the confidence that your rights are going to be respected even after you make the money, right? Yeah. And so you know, nowadays there's talk of you know types of wealth tax and more redistribution of wealth. I mean, yeah. Once that really starts on whole, you know, wholesale, and I think that's that's a real dangerous precedent in the uh-huh. direction that we're well, moving in. in then terms why of, would you continue doing it? Right. 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 If, if I get taxed 50% on everything over a million dollars, why should I make more than a million and, bucks? And, and take the risk. You know, right. people as Exactly. That's the thing. Right. That's the they thing they see the time you make the million, but they don't see all the times you lo- had to lose before you could finally that, make that million. That's the thing that people don't understand about entrepreneurs yes. is, is these guys go up, because I was one. These guys go up and take everything they own, put it on a table, and roll the dice. Yep. Mm-hmm. And it takes a huge amount of confidence, I almost swore, but it takes a huge amount of confidence and a huge amount of conviction and commitment to make that happen. And I don't think people realize that. And and it's funny, when you hear these people argue about it, they're working for, like I had a conversation with a guy who works for the railroad, which is a socialist activity, right? And he gets a paycheck and he gets a pension and he, oh, that's, life's working great for me. Sure. I said, well, I'm glad it is. Sure. But thank the people out there that are making the rail cars and who own the construction companies that keep those things in line and, you know? Yeah, and, and, and I'll make the point, too. I mean, as an entrepreneur, you know, it, there's so much obsession these days about, you know, the rights of the worker, or the yeah. workers underpaid. And, you know, I'm, without getting into the specifics of any particular situation, you know, you, as an entrepreneur, everyone else gets paid before you do. Absolutely. Right? Exactly. As the investor, every, all the workers get paid, all the supplier, everyone else gets paid before you do. Ultimately, as the investor, as the yeah. entrepreneur, you get paid last. And I'm sure, you know, talk too specifically, but in a lot of cases, entrepreneurs don't make money for two, three, four, five years yeah. in. Then they finally make money, and then government comes along and says, oh, you're making too much money. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's it's really a shame. We're moving in, unfortunately, politically in the opposite no, direction. No, it's not really political. It's just that what they're doing is ignoring the law of causality, right? They're just yeah. the, the cause of it is originates with the producer, right? It and all- we're sort of like ignoring what causes the right of the mechanic or the unskilled labor to earn his money. It, it originates. It's it's not a reversal of the law. It's it's, it's ignoring what causes your right to make a claim. On an income in the first place. Yep. It's a producer. Yeah. No, I think it's it all starts as you said with the producer. It all, you know, everything that we value it. You know, we, we it's so um, convenient that we kind of stop to think, uh, forget of all the thinking that had to go into creating these everyday yeah. conveniences. I mean, and I, I see it in the investment world because the investment world has just never gotten better. It's never been a better time to be investor. The types of tools that you used to have to literally pay, you know, twenty and thirty thousand dollars a month, are now free on your iPhone. So there's just so much more available that it's it's really like, you know, people say, what is wealth creation? And they say, oh, well, I don't have any more money, so what wealth has been created? We think, think about your life back 10, 15, 20 really? years ago, standing in line at friggin' Blockbuster with that big <laughs> stack of VHS tapes, all grimy with... I mean, how much better is life now every day when wealth is able to be created, even if your pocket isn't necessarily getting heavier? So that's wealth creation. And it really, it only happens in America. So let me play devil's advocate here, Jonathan. So when people say, you know, uh, there's a loss of social value, because at least with the filthy, grimy VH tapes, we were we talking had, with we're each other. We were talking with each other, and there was a loss of, there's no loss of community, and we're suffering from an epidemic of loneliness because we can just stream in our living rooms and we're sort of alienated from each other. And so with the rise of technology and, and convenience and availability and all the things that sort of uh, allocate more time to our lives, there, there's a trade-off to it. How do you respond to that? 
Well, I mean, I talk about areas out of my area of expertise. I mean, I've heard these studies about, you know, social loneliness and people are more socially lonely now. I mean, I don't know exactly how you can quantify that, how, how, how that's analyzed. I mean, you know, when you when you look at, you know, look, I grew up with pen pals and like I got a name of somebody in Italy and I was supposed to write him and I wrote him and he never wrote me back once. Yeah. And now young people can literally find friends in Italy and share common interests, whether it's about movies or TV or politics or anything else. So this, you know, I I, I'm, uh, I don't want to go back to those old days, Jason, and, and neither do anyone else really want to go back to those days of, of pre-technology, pre technology. It's 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 a fantasy and it's I think it's a romance that you know it was so wonderful we stood in line with each other and wasted our <laughs> afternoon. I mean it's it's just not the case and I think and you know you can empirically say we're so much better connected and and uh, uh, but, than ever before. But there was something wonderful about the lure of Barnes and Noble that drew you in. I mean book sales are down, people are reading less. Uh, there was something wonderful about being lured in by Barnes and Noble, yeah. where you browse through the book and you got hooked into the book and you bought the book. And you stood up and you made a conversation with somebody like, what are you reading? And you started talking about it. That's gone. You have to be, like, be really, really incentivized to go on Amazon and to buy the book today. Yeah, I mean, look, that book buying has changed. But, you know, something, you know, in my neighborhood, even downtown, and this isn't a plug, but there's something called the Wonder Museum, which is like a very small scale, interactive, what do they call them, kind of Instagram museums. But for young people, and it's immersive, but... So, you know, what we think about those ex- types of experience, shared experiences that we all had, you know, whether it be Barnes & Noble or, or VHS tapes or anywhere else, they're, they're going to be changing. There's new types of interactions and experiences that will that continue that social community person to person if it's a value to people, if yeah. it's a value to people. Yeah. So um, yeah. don't despair. Don't despair. I've got a little different take on it. I, yeah. I think with this new technology, we're given even more freedom, right, and especially freedom of time. And so much of what we've done and how we've been conditioned is to respond to stimuli, right? Mm-hmm. So what we actually have an opportunity to is actually create, like, what do we want to do? What do we really want from our life? What do we really want from our relationships? And, and that's, a, that's responsibility. And we haven't developed that in people yet, you know? That's kind of the gap, I think, that's the next oh, sure. evolution is, is people actually becoming responsible for a higher level of living. You know, yeah. so that, that's yeah. what I see as the I mean, opportunity. Even, even something, how many people for years just said, oh, I'd love to write a book. I'd love to write a book. And along come Amazon and says, hey, write it, write it. We'll publish it. So it won't cost you anything. Well, how many books have been written in this room? You've got what, 10? Four. Four. And, and you know what? And you, I wrote one. You, and you wrote, I wrote I've wrote a few, but and you write yeah. them for you. But the Absolutely. point is, to your point is that the, this technology comes around and it improves our lives Absolutely. demonstrably and makes it better. It makes us be able to achieve our dreams. And we've got to be responsible for it and we've got to take action. No one's going to give it to you. And yes. that's part of the inv- individualism you were talking about. Yes. So, yeah, no, I, th- I don't see a problem with any of it. I think what it is, though, we've been so used to getting stuff handed to us. Yeah. Now we've got to take the initiative and we've got to take have the agency in our own life. Be yeah. responsible well, for that. you know, one of the, the you know the supposed downsides of America, American success is obesity. But my God, I'd certainly rather be a country where you have to work extra hard to get off your butt because your life is so convenient than yeah. one which your subsistence farming and exactly. you know, slaving in the in, in the fields morning, noon, and night. Yeah. So well, we're, we're so we're we could fortunate. celebrate the loss of fifty pounds, right? <laughs> <laughs> when we come back, I want to talk about the ambivalence that people have towards their money, like this notion of the money's the root of all evil and why so many wealthy people are apologizing for their wealth, which sends a bad message to aspiring wealth creators. Great. And why you have to justify your existence by giving your money away. Great, great. Sounds good? Yeah, that sounds good. Did you give your money away? You got 10,000 bucks in front of you. (laughs) I give my money to children, to children. Of course you do. 
Jason Hill here, and I want to let you know that you're listening to the podcast version of Into the Gap, which airs every Saturday from 9 to 10 a.m. Central on WCGO Radio. Tune in live from 1590 a.m. and 95.9 FM, the Smart Talk app. Tune in or wcgoradio.com. The podcast is available from Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio. Find it, rate it, and subscribe. If you'd like to get in touch about the show or inquire about sponsorship opportunities and rates, please reach out to my co-host Mike at MikeShrek at gmail.com. Dallas Cowboy Hall of Fame coach Tom Landry once said, a coach is someone who has you see what you don't want to see and has you hear what you don't want to hear so you can always be the person you knew yourself to be. Hello, I'm Mike Sherrick, founder and president of the Mike Sherrick Group and Mike Sherrick Coaching. We are an executive coaching and leadership development organization with offices in Berwyn, Illinois and Oshkosh, Wisconsin. Successful organizations begin with the self-awareness and authenticity of its leaders. And in today's world, we are all leaders. If you or your organization has a big vision or you know there's another level you can go to, please give us a call at 630-643-6336. If you're one of the first three people who call us today, you will be eligible for a free IMX leadership assessment and debrief, a $550 value free to you and your organization. So give us a call at 630-643-6336 and take it on. Okay, back to the show now. Here's my co-host, Mike Schreck. Hey, we're back. This is Mike, Jason, Into the Gap with our guest, Jonathan Honig. Welcome back, Jonathan. Hey, great to be with you all. We're having a spirited conversation this morning about one of my favorite things, money. Money. Yeah, money. I mean, it's, you know, I mean, money, food, sex, you know, these are the <laughs> things that really make the world go around, and money is certainly should be top of top of my list and yeah. probably top of some of our listeners as well. Well, yeah, I mean, money impacts everyone, I think, yeah. you know? It's, yeah. And it's weird. The things that bring us the most vitality, sex, money, liquor. Rock and uh, roll. Rock food. and roll. Good food. These, good food. Good food. Uh, a lot of these things are demonized as being evil, and money is one of the things that you hear is a root of all evil. Oh, yeah. And it trickles down in the following way. You know, people, wealth creators who made their money morally, that is not through ca- crony capitalism, not through appropriating uh, the wealth of other people, are induced to apologizing for their wealth and meant to feel like the only way they can justify their wealth is by giving away a, a ton of it. Oh, sure. And that, I think, affects people's relationship to their money. So could you talk a little bit about, about that? Yeah, I mean, the, the prototypical example of that is uh, probably people would know over the last 20 years is Bill Gates. Yeah. Right? yeah. And, you, you know, you guys know Bill. So Bill Gates, when he was the head of Microsoft, it was like, oh, he's taking over the world. He, he kind of, what Zuckerberg, the this, this, this stuff Zuckerberg gets now, Bill Gates was getting back in the late 1990s. Right. Like, oh, he's too powerful. We need to antitrust him, you know. He was kind of a bad guy. He was scary. He had all this power. He had all this money. And we need to, you know, when did he become the good guys? When he quit Microsoft and he uh, opened the Gates Foundation, he started giving, you know, yeah. giving it a lot away. He became the good guy. Now he's a moral guy. And I think, Jason, here, here it's kind of what you're alluding to is, you know, there's this, I think there's this belief that, you know, when you want money, you're selfish, right? You want it for you. And that's really despised in our culture and our, it's for hundreds of years now. You shouldn't, you're not supposed to be selfish. You're supposed to be an altruist. You're supposed to be about helping everyone else besides you. So this, this idea of people who are very successful and very wealthy, that's, you know, that's not necessarily seen as moral in our age. What's moral is, oh, here's the charitable work they do. Uh, and I even see it oftentimes on Fox. You know, you're on, 
you're on panels against uh, you know a socialist or someone who advocates leftist ideas, and you know the idea is the the expectation is isn't the capitalism great? Because look at all the money that they give away. But what's what's really great about capitalism is all the money that people are able to make by creating those values, by providing those those jobs and those incentives and opportunities. But that's that's to your point looked up down upon. So where these does days. this come from? Because we it's, have two parallel systems here, two parallel beliefs. On the one hand, we extol the virtues of the pull yourself up by the bootstraps, the entrepreneur, the self-made mm-hmm. person, the self-made man or woman who creates wealth and creates jobs for other people and is extolled as an end in, in him or herself. But at the same time, we also demonize that person or expect that person to almost atone for the fact that he or she made this wealth. So what's the root? Is it Christianity? Is it religion? Where, where... I mean, this this is much more your, you know, your study of history and, and knowledge of that, but I think a lot of it has to do with uh, you know, America, unfortunately, had some contradictions when it was founded, and it was founded, many people believe, on a, the J, a so-called Judeo-Christian tradition, which includes that self-sacrificial altruism. So it's it's the, the earning money of money, and I think this has gotten worse and worse over the years, and there's been a, a certainly a political or a, a, an educational element in terms of what our children have been basically taught since the progressive era, or what the children have been taught, thankfully not my children, but uh, children have been taught since the progressive era, but there's been this increasing belief that it's, you know, it's not the earning of money that's that's admirable it's it is the giving it away it's the self-sacrificial way uh and, and who's the ultimate you know moral uh vision in our day and age is someone like mother Teresa. so even bill gates and he gives away a lot of money but hey he still has a nice house if he gave it all away if he lived in a tent well then he would really be allowed to do this his moral so it was kind of a backward notion unfortunately nowadays jason that you know it's earning money is eh look a lot of people earn money we that's our attitude these days but oh when people give it away that's what's really seen as as moral and i think it's it's frustrating i think unfortunately it induces a lot of unearned guilt in exactly those producers who we should be celebrating and celebrating their production not their philanthropy yeah. one of the things i've noticed is the the concern i have when i see great wealth like i've got a concern about zuckerberg and what facebook does and all that stuff right but the, the thing that I've seen is kind of a line of demarcation, and it's a, it's a very squiggly line or a very difficult line to identify, is greed, right? Where does, where does productivity and success stop mm. and greed begin? You well, what, how, you know, who, tell me who's not greedy. What, you know, how, how do you define greed, you know? Well, greedy is all self-serving is how I would define it, right? It's all about me. It's I, I just want to get, win for me and not care about anybody else. Because what we said earlier is the way that productivity occurs is through serving others, right? So, and you serve others and you get rewarded for it. So there's that, there's an element of altruism in that. And then at what point in time, mm-hmm. and, and it's, it's a real fuzzy line. I don't know where it's at. Well, let me ask you, is Zuckerberg you think is greedy now? I don't know what he is. <laughs> well, what are, what, are you, what's like, what are you against? Well, Why are you, you have He's got a lot about... of power. Yeah. And he, there, it occurs to me there's a, a certain amount of amorality in what he allows and doesn't allow to go on. And it, maybe it is freedom. I don't know. It's, it's really an interesting situation. They've got a lot of power, a lot of information, how they use it. Yeah. It's Zuckerberg. Yeah. It's Zuckerberg's I mean, not the one I'm offended by mostly. It's his partner, Sheryl Sandberg. Well, I mean, you know, it's my mind. It's like, look, uh, Jason's got his books, yeah. and what's in those books is Jason's call. And it's yeah, not mine absolutely. or yours. You've got, we've got, you've got a show. What's on the show is your call. Right. And Zuckerberg, hey, he has Facebook, and he built Facebook. He yeah. earned it. Yep. And look, a lot of people have said goodbye to Facebook. It hasn't hurt the stock. No. Um, you know, they all. continue to go, you know, go up and continue to innovate. But, um, you know, I, that, I think that's, you know, you, and you can actually not like a product or even sure. not like a personality. Mm-hmm. And you have to say, all right, look, he earned it, and he's built it, and it provides a value to a lot of people. Maybe not me, but a you lot of people. You know what? Thanks for that. Because what I'm seeing then, you know, 
it, 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 this is what's going on. Everyone's complaining about what the other guy's doing, and we're not looking in the mirror like what we're going to do. So if I don't like Facebook, turn it off. Turn it off. Don't do it. Don't. And a lot it. of people do. Yeah. My exactly. girlfriend turned it off, and she's happier now than she was before. Yeah, just turn it off. Don't yeah. do it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and, and if you don't like this, don't use it. I mean, I've got, I've got, you know, United Airlines is on my ban list. So is Nike. I'll never use their products again. Never do it. And, yeah. and the market yeah. does respond. I mean, you know, Gillette. One, yeah. one thing about these these names, it's you know, like Amazon and Facebook, yeah. is you know, think about what they were even five and ten years yeah. ago. And every day they are out there competing. Every day yep. Apple is nipping at their knees. <laughs> New people are nipping at their heels. And you know, someone like Zuckerberg, if you notice. You know, you have monopolies in things like soup, you know, so-called monopolies. Like Campbell's Soup has been on top basically since the 50s. Now, they've had some competitors yeah. along the way, but, you know, that that's a monopoly. Like every 10 years, there's a new tech leader that mm-hmm. is the dominant. And I remember when, you know, in the 80s and I was just getting into stocks and people said, you've got to own Mo- <laughs> Motorola. Yeah. Motorola. This is the mo- – uh, what do they call them? Cell phones of the future. Right. Uh, and then in the 90s, it was uh, Nokia. Those those are companies are gone Cisco now. System. Cisco, Cisco, Cisco System. Cisco System. Yeah. yeah. So this that's that wonderful free market at work, and there's okay. no monopolists in the free market. Someone's always nipping at your heels, oh. trying to do it a little bit better at a lower cost. That's um, interesting because I was going to ask you about monopolies and your position on them, and you just explained it. So the only, there always no the only monopoly is government, which has a monopoly over physical force. Yeah. Um, but no one forces us to use Facebook, and people say, "Oh well, come on now, you got to be on Facebook." No, no you, don't. Well, you don't. No, you don't. No, you, no, you, no, you simply don't. don't. You know, I mean, you yeah. do for our, our program here today. Yeah, we're exactly. happy you are. We're but glad you are. Thank yeah. you, Mark Zuckerberg and, you're and Joe ma- Sandberg. Yeah, I mean, exactly. Yeah. Making making those choices. And that's what we do every day as free Americans. Yeah. And I want to say there's no such thing. I want to be a, a, a bad boy here and say there's no such thing as greed. Greed is nothing more than following the aspirational calling to which your mind can fulfill a value that can be materially realized in reality. Having a goal and wanting to go get it. And go get it. For and you. Th- for you. And then and then your mind can can actually ideate another value that manifests itself in monetary terms and it's and the market rewards it. And then your mind ideates another value that your mind realizes and people reward it. And, Infinitely. Yes. And, and, and people call that greed. And the and the payoff is I think twofold. It's you get paid, and you know we haven't even talked a bit about this. It's it's the self esteem you get of right. whether you're making a dollar, a million dollars, whatever it is. The self esteem you get from actually earning money, as you said, Jason, with your own mind of having a having a vision, wanting to achieve something, earning the money. Boy, it, it's it's an amazing high. It's an and amazing anytime high. somebody says enough is enough, what they're saying is they're putting a moratorium on your brain. They're mm-hmm. saying, okay, it's time for you to shut your brain off and not create any more values from your brain. But what I, and who has the right to say that? Well, what? I think that's what the, um, you know, like that wealth tax does. Right? Yeah. I mean, I think that's really the impact of the wealth tax. It, it forces you, it doesn't force you, but it doesn't, it disincentivizes you yes. to continue to create and use your brain. Yes. Where you start getting lazy and complacent. Exactly. What, yeah. What's amazing is that people who are so, in, you know, <laughs> talk about inconsistency, those who advocate that, now, I'm very extraordinarily pro-choice. I mean, you won't find somebody more choice. Mm-hmm. But the ir- irony is that people who believe that you have a complete right to your body, many on the left, yeah. also think yeah. that you don't have a right I'm, to your money. 
Yeah. The money that you actually earn. So yeah. you earn the money that's not yours. Or they respect the right to your physical body, which of course I do as well. But yeah. look, you earn that $100 or $1,000 or $1 million, it's yours. Yeah. But that's that collectivist, anti-individualistic, anti-capitalist perce- uh, perception that it's not really yours. It's the communities. We're right. going to redistribute it. It takes in, a village. In a more fair value. It's a very... <laughs> The, the further we go down that path, right. the really more dangerous America is going to become. Well, and I think that you're, you're pointed to the, is the inconsistency of it. Yes. You know, the, the, it, the situational ethics of it all. You know, and that, that, that's the biggest challenge I see with these guys. You, you, know? you own your life and you own your property. It's yeah. yours. Yeah. You know, if I, I, I have a, a comment in my book or my essay, my essay I talk about the, the uh, inheritance tax, the death tax. Mm-hmm. But I make the point, look, if I give Jason a wristwatch... It's his. Yeah. And why does government come in and say, whoa, wait a minute, 15% of that rich watch is, it's his. It's his. The moment I give it to him and the moment I, yep. in that case, I expire. So that's that type of respect for property rights. You know, Rand has a great quote. Obviously, I'm sure Jason knows it, that without property rights, no rights are possible. Right. And so if you don't own, you know, if you don't own what you earn, if you actually don't own them, then you really are a slave. You know, people can come and take it at any time and say, no, that's not yours. We'll just take 5%, 10%, 15%. So... It's a real dangerous precedent that's being set all over Europe, and my God, I hope not here in America as well. Well, it's coming. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, in degrees, the, it's coming. I mean, it's. Um, I am my brother's keeper. You know, you asked about the, kind of the moral foundation, Jason, mm-hmm. and even those on the so-called right will say I am my brother's keeper, and they'll say, "Look, people are suffering. You got a million bucks. You'll be just fine if you have nine hundred and fifty thousand. So you'll be a little less productive. You'll have one less yacht or whatever they say." But, you know, that's that mentality that there are no property rights. I am my brother's keeper. And we as the government are going to do the moral thing on your behalf. What's moral for a government to do is to leave people free. Leave people alone. Leave people free. And that's how you get the most benevolent and the most wealthy society for everyone. And my God, you know, there was a, I think it's Fee has a wonderful stat. I can double check my Twitter feed for that. But in effect that, you know, the so-called middle class and poor are rich on the world stage in in a global context. So, my God, how lucky we still are here to be here in this free America. Yeah, I want to say before we go, we, yeah, go ahead. comparatively speaking, we don't have poverty in America. Yes. Yeah, comparatively yeah. speaking. Yeah. Well, well you know, the, we talked a lot about kind of the philosophy of money and yeah. kind of the history of money and what money means, but we didn't talk a lot about, we haven't talked a lot about kind of what people do oftentimes with their money. Yeah. Maybe some of the, oftentimes the bad choices and the bad decisions they make with it. Well, that's one of the things I wanted to ask you is yeah. uh, what, what I've seen is I, I own some property, right? And there's one guy who was you know, um, renting a house for me. And when, and he's a friend of mine. I've known him for like 25 years. And I, I rented a house to him and the guy was broke, just flat broke. And so I kind of coached him. And from the time he moved in to the time he moved out, which was last weekend, his salary increased by a factor of two and a half. Wow. Okay. And he's still broke. Wow. Like he's still broke. And what ha- it, that's it. it. Yeah. That's it. I mean, most people's problem, unfortunately, is not that they have a bad stock tip or that they forecast the economy wrong, but yeah. they spend more than they make. And no matter what they make. Yeah, it's true. They yeah. spend they spend everything that they make and then a little bit more. Yeah. So they're always walking around with five or six thousand dollars in credit card debt, yep. which is absolutely insane. Yeah. Uh, it, you know, it, it's just giving money away. And the thing is, it's giving money away for disposable crap. Yeah. You know, for things like you know, it's you buy. I don't know. You buy a, you know, you know, whatever do you buy? It's worth fifty percent less the moment you even walk out of the and store. The moment a, it gets delivered. A new. So I was with someone. You know, my office is in Berwyn, and we were walking down the street, and there's a skate store, and the guy I was with runs in there, and drops seventy five bucks on a pair of slippers, basically. Yeah. And he pays for it with a credit card. 
and it just goes down the tab, and the tab is fourteen percent a month or whatever it is. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it's, and I'm like, what are you going to do with the? It's winter out. You know, they're gym shoes. You know, yeah, they're, but they're, and that's just it. I mean, pe- most people's problem is they spend everything they make. I think maybe it's because we've we've kind of gone so long since that depression era mentality. Yeah. And I, my, my, I wasn't raised by my grandmother, but she was a big influence on me. And you know, she lived 106 years old and was able to to care for herself, not physically, but pay for herself because yeah. she had gone through the depression, was always saving, was always cutting corners. Was, I mean, she had the same furniture when she died at 106 than she had when she got married yeah. in 1924. Yeah. Uh, and that's that type of depression. And, and it doesn't mean being in a depression or living like you're in depression, but living beneath your means. So yeah. most people, they spend more than they make. They, they don't live beneath their means. And I tell you, I'm not making a... a forecast about the economy, but, that, but that's what worries me. Everything that people did with their house in 2007, 2008, they're yeah. doing with their credit card today. Wow. Mm. Yeah, I, I think one of the things, you hit on a really important point, is I don't think people appreciate what it takes to get to this point. Mm-hmm. You know, I asked a question this week, what's more important? Is it liberty or is equality, right? And it, the stir just came, it was crazy. The, 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 the stuff I heard was just stupid. Yeah. But without Freedom and liberty, you can't have anything else. And, and it's been so long since we've had the challenge of the Depression or there's been a war that actually affected the whole culture or there's been any kind of real struggle here that people just take what goes on here for granted. Like, yep. this is just guaranteed. It's all going to be good. Yeah. Right? Yeah. No. Mom's going to fill my, uh, my debit card so I can go to Starbucks every day. And, you know, this is going to happen and everything's good and life is grand. No, it's true. We, we've gotten very, thankfully, accustomed to life in a in, in a free capitalist, semi-capitalist, modern yeah. uh, economy, and you know, that's why I think some travel is really encouraging for people to take a take a little bit of a travel around the world and see truly how fortunate we are, even in our economy today, to 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 have the type of free economy we do. And the and the result is in the you know the proof is in the GDP, and the yeah. GDP in America is the highest in the world as a result. Well, that's why I love Jason's book so much. You know, we have overcome because it it gives a recent perspective on what life not here is about, mm-hmm. right? And he came here and he tackled it fully and owned it and it's been incredibly successful. And he doesn't take anything for granted, right? Yes. And somebody's been born here and, you know, in taking it for granted, then they complain a lot. They're just like, what's up with that, yeah. you know? Yeah. yeah no. so. But Jonathan, I want to ask you this question about, you know, non-consuming goods or resources and living beneath your means. Because there's a fine line between, you know, money gives us choices, right? And we want to enjoy our lives. So I don't want to have the same furniture that I had 30 years ago. I want to enjoy the quality of my life. I want a certain amount of dis. So I own a condo. I st- I'm not rich enough to pay off my mortgage. So I, I bought a condo that I could afford on a professor's salary, which is a one-bedroom condo in Lakeview. I can afford the mortgage and I afford the assessment fee. And I have enough disposable income that I can take a trip to Vietnam or Europe and pay off the credit card. But I still want to be able to enjoy the quality of my life. I don't want to just be sure. subjected to taking a road trip to Michigan, which is a beautiful state. So what is that balance that people strike between like really enjoying your money, well, you- spending it, and living a quality life, going to a, a nice restaurant, having a nice meal versus going to a, a, a Taco Bell? Sure. I mean, you you have to. It all comes down to thinking, right? You have yeah. to think, and you have to be able to think and plan uh, long term. You know, my father's comment <clears throat> was always that 
we have we have money for some of what we want, but not all of what we want. So mm, it comes good. down, I think, in making some choices. Really, what is the mo- you know? For me, I know I always have felt like you know, money in the bank is ultimately better than basically almost anything it can buy, because money does afford you those choices. I mean, there's a you know when the when the market crashes or the economy gets tough, uh, if you've got the very minimum, which would be six months worth of living expenses in the bank, you know, imagine the anxiety you don't have. So mm-hmm. I'm I'm always of the mind that says you know. The, the money is better than than anything ultimately it can buy. But you know, Jason, it comes down to making choices and and making plans. How long you expect to work? How your financial situation? What other types of assets and investments you have? So you know, I would never say deny yourself. You know, any luxury or anything you want to pursue. That's why you should make money to enjoy it. But exactly. you should also need to make sure that you're thinking long term and understanding that you know that's why you work now so that you can not have to work later or work a lot easier later and really truly be able to enjoy your your later years. Should people have fewer children then? Say it again? Should people have fewer children? <laughs> because I think it's what you're advocating is really impossible if you're going to have three three children, you're going to put them through college, you're going to, you know, uh, finance their extracurricular activities to be able to do that and to have 6 months worth of your salary. Yeah, I mean, look, I, you know, I it's something I've Never really spoken about, but a- absolutely, your your children are your literally your property. They're your completely your responsibility. <laughs> yeah, so I think if you can't afford to have children, you absolutely should not have them. I hope people don't have children that they can't afford, and you know it's it's a huge responsibility. So you know people need to take on those responsibilities only if and when they can afford them. And, yeah. uh, so yeah, abso- absolutely, yeah, and 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 to do that. So I'm not saying, Jason, don't get your nice furniture. But for example, you know, a lot of people, it's like, you know, it's the daily Starbucks. And I'm not putting it down. I get a daily Starbucks. But you start to realize, gee, if I could make coffee every day, you know, it could be $1,000, $2,000 extra a year. And boy, they could buy a nice chair or a nice couch. So it's just about making those choices. And right. look, in, in a socialist country, it's really easy. They tell you what kind of furniture you're going to have, where you're going to work, how much you're going to make. You don't have to do any thinking. But, you know, we have to think to earn our money and also think about how to wisely save and invest it as well. Yeah. Yeah. Mike? Well, man, we're almost done for today. Well, thank you, guys. You this know, is definitely a spirit. I left you with all this cash, and I have one more bill, actually, so I can split this among you both. This, These are authentic banknotes from uh, Yugoslavia, Yugoslavia social, uh, communist Yugoslavia. Yeah. Oh, wow. What are these worth? Uh, these are worth the, the story behind them. I mean, what we've learned this morning is that the currency is only worth the ideas that back them up, and that's uh, another— This is a $10 million whatever. A $10 million— uh, yeah, it was it, that was used to be a legitimate banknote in communist Yugoslavia, but yeah. like all communist and socialist countries, it ultimately fell and the value of the currency with it. So let's not have that happen to our U.S. dollar. Yeah, this is well, the, uh, the gift of socialism. Again. Mike, I mean, there's some sucker out there that we can just like. Yeah, I'm going to give him twenty million, whatever these are. Right? <laughs> give him so, the story, teach him yeah. the ideas. That's really. Hey, good. we're out of here, man. Thank, Thank you, you so Mike. much for being here. Mike, tell them the name of your book again. Sure, it's Jonathan Hoding. My website is capitalistpig.com. My book is a new textbook of Americanism, and I'll see you all online. Thank, Thank you, you so for much. Having, thank you for being here. Jay, um, thanks, man. Thank you. All right.